Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. So in this episode, we're going to drill down on a popular go-to-market strategy called product-led growth. Our guest, Mickey Alon, is a multi-time entrepreneur and a co-author of a book called Mastering Product-Led Growth. Mickey was early at Marketo, Aptrinsic, and now CTO and founder of Gainsight PX, which is a platform designed to help teams accelerate product-led growth. Then in the second half of this podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. Our host, Bob Tinker, will be joined by a special guest host, Nikolai Skajkov, who's CEO of Circular. Nikolai's company is in the midst of implementing product-led growth, so that's why we asked him on as a guest host to ask the questions that perhaps our listeners are asking. But enough from me, I'm going to hand the questioning over to Bob. So, Mickey, maybe if you could give our audience a little bit of grounding in your experience with product-led growth that led you to write the book and led you to implement it in the companies you work at. Absolutely. Initially, in my first company I built back in 2010, I was trying to disrupt much bigger companies. And I had like what we've done back then is actually leading with our product. Back then, product growth did not exist. And we were going after much larger and heavier solutions. And one of the things I realized that if I'm able to demonstrate value before I capture value mm. and I show the customer the, the art of the possible very quickly, I'm able to actually close deals much faster and customers have a, a, a good sense of expectation what the solution is able to do. So it allowed what, me... What year was that roughly when you started figuring out sort of the difference of demonstrating value and capturing value? Like how long ago was this? 2012. Really? We were, Nine years yeah. ago. Yeah, that was really early in product-led growth. Okay, that's great. Yeah, we didn't call it product-led growth, but we kind of realized that one of the elements and to cut through the noise... How do I position myself as a solution that is easy to use and I can show you the outcome in the first 10 minutes of discussion? And we actually did several things. One is demo the product, but also we even built some features that demonstrate just that value very quickly. And we were able to very quickly in the first few minutes, the customer would say, oh, I understand what the solution does. And we can have a discussion of you know the, the relevancy of the solution to them. A very fast forward, how can I facilitate that product to, to drive that customer acquisition? So maybe if we could fast forward to what's going on now in terms of the company you're at with Gainsight PX, give people a little bit of context on that. And then we're really going to drill into how do you implement successful PLG? We've got Nikolai here who's trying to do this at his company. So we're going to get sort of down and dirty about how do you actually make PLG happen. But before we do that, could you talk a little bit about Gainsight, Gainsight PX and you know, how that relates to product-led growth. Yeah, the, the reason I, I uh, created Gainsight PX, uh, which is previously known as Uptrinsic, 
was my journey at Marketo. When I joined Marketo through M&A and started to lead a global development team in multiple products, I realized that even public companies are still flying blind. There's a couple of elements that were missing in terms of how can company be successful. Obviously, it ties to the delivery of the product. I think it has a massive effect on mm-hmm. the outcome of the company. So I saw that there are missing a couple of elements. One, we were blind to usage data. We didn't know which customers are actually mm-hmm. seeing, experiencing ROI outcome or happy with the solution and which, which customers are actually uh, are at risk. The claim to fame with Marketo was a simple, complete, and the simplicity was kind of one of the elements we, we emphasized in differentiation. We did notice over time that we lost that simplicity and we became a complex platform. So we didn't have the data points to collect that. Second, at Marketo, we also wanted to scale, go to market, and we tried to figure out how can we upsell and cross-sell to our install base. Obviously, at some point for companies, it's much cheaper and easier to, to upsell and cross-sell as opposed to acquire new customers. It's just different, mm-hmm. different economics. So that led me to kind of understand there's a transition in the market for a more product-led motion where, to me, it's an end-to-end strategy. Many companies assume this is mostly customer acquisition, freemium, free trials, but I saw it as actually it's, it's a full end-to-end experience that you want to drive both customer acquisition costs down, but also retention because it's a subscription business now. So you need to regain your customers every year. So how can you drive better retention motion and expansion? And and for that, I, I realized the need for number one, gaining visibility to your product usage data, which accounts, which users uh, are using what features. Second, can I now message this user contextually to help them drive the the outcome they're expecting to have with the product. And I I realized that the customer journey now is moving to the product. Most of the interactions that companies have today with a brand is through the product. All right, super helpful. And I think, look, your recognition that led you to start AppTrinsic and then what became Gainsight PX, you know, it sounds like it was driven from your frustration early on at Marketo that you were blind to usage data to be able to understand how to influence getting to first value, how to get to cross-sell, how to get to upsell, how to drive retention, that visibility into usage data was key. I love when inspiration is driven from frustration. And the second thing about messaging and actually being able to make it actionable, that was actually two very key insights that I think everybody would look at now with product-led growth and say, if you don't have those two things, like you really can't do product-led growth. Okay, so hey, Mickey, you're you know an expert in product-led growth, and you sell a platform that helps with product-led growth. But maybe let's zoom out and ask ourselves, like, product-led growth. It's a hot topic. Investors like talking about it. Companies like talking about it. You know, why is PLG so popular? The basics of that is uh, number one: the growth that you can drive with this strategy is much, much more efficient and more sustainable. It's more durable mm-hmm. growth. If you look at the public company that applies product-led growth, they're actually twice as fast in growth and more effective in customer acquisition. So I think in the past, investors they used to invest, as long as you're growing, then you're just going to pull more money and it was growth at all costs. That mm-hmm. doesn't work anymore. In the subscription business, you're creating a leaky bucket scenario and Second motivation and driver, I would say, it's is the customer acquisition cost is just going 
steadily up all the time because all of the investments going to the market, so many new companies and products are driving customer acquisition costs because of the competition to a very high cost. So if you're able to not be bounded to sales resources, at least for the qualifying customers and, and delivering value at scale, without the high touch model, you're able to acquire customers more effectively in a more cost-effective way. You can change your pricing to combine usage over time. So when you upsell and cross-sell, you can also drive value through product, but it also ties to a, a more organic expansion. Mm -hmm. So there's many, many aspects that product-led growth is helping you with. And I think it's just helping you disrupt more traditional companies. It gives you a better unit of economics, customer acquisition, growth retention, nettle retention, all of these metrics, if you uh, look at the PFG companies, are much, much stronger than the traditional funnel-driven customer acquisition, which most companies today still use. So, look, I'm a huge fan of product-led growth, and in many cases, it's great. It sounds like, based on the way you described it, like everybody should do, be doing product-led growth, which we know is actually probably not true. So maybe let's take the contrarian view on this and ask, like, PLG is not for everyone. So when does it work? If you're talking to the audience out there, when does it work? And when doesn't it work? There's a couple of elements that make PLG much more relevant. And it's not necessarily even the type of industries. It's the maturity of your space, for example. If, for example, you're disrupting an existing space, let's take monday.com. They came out of mm -hmm. nowhere for project management. Everybody knows what project management is. They've used some type of tool. So a mature market like that, a very strong way to disrupt it is using PLG. It's basically building better experience, focusing on the user experience as well, and tying the demand into the product experience because there's not a lot you need to explain. I can give you an ad that speaks about or organic content about the paying and then drive you to start and build your own project. That's an ideal scenario for customer acquisition for companies. It's what's the kind of the maturity of the market. Is there a bottom-up approach as well? Because I think you can start a project, a small project in a big company. So can that user drive a quick decision to buy, to buy small? And is your product ready for self-provisioning? Can you allow users to sign up, to invite others? certain elements you want to put in place to be in the best position for PLG, including pricing and packaging. Is it tied to value and usage? That's the one edge of the equations. The other extent of that spectrum is your software is very complex, very heavy, multi-buyer decision. It's not a single buyer decision. There's no self-provisioning in place. And you're basically, it's a very unique solution. So you have to really even teach customers what it even means. You're, you're basically creating a category. Those are the areas that PLG is going to be very challenging for you to start with. But I would say, because also in my book, I wrote is it's, it's kind of, there's a couple of myths about product growth, which might lead companies to think it's not relevant to them. But I think one of the elements is like, hey, you know, the best way to start is actually with retention, not the trial of freemium. Can you double click on that? That's interesting, because I think most people yeah. think about product-led growth as a way to just acquire customers. What do you mean by start with retention? Yeah, so I think in a subscription business, it's all about being able to create stickiness and have customers experience value and renew. 
you can actually use those tactics by looking at the usage data and messaging and, and driving users to those sticky features at scale and then drive better retentions before you start your free trial. Because you already have the customers and you're trying to move from uh, 90% to a stronger number. So you can, it's much simpler. You don't need to change. There's no change. So you start with product-led retention. Exactly. That then leads to product-led growth. Exactly. Because I think also retention number, every point you improve in retention is it's much more valuable in many cases, right? Especially in B2B. Sure. So this is one angle to, to look at product-led growth, and then you can even move to expansion. When you think about trial, you need to think about, hey, self-provisioning, you know, all that messaging, tying that to paid media and organic and all that stuff. It's And sometimes you even need to change your pricing model. These are big changes right. that the free trial and freemium require as opposed to retention, which is like you have the customer, just retain, make sure that they experience outcome. So there's actually two different things we talked about there. Let me see if we can pull them apart a little bit. So in terms of when product-led growth is effective and when it's not. So what I heard in terms of when it's effective is maturity's there. You don't have to explain the product. There's a bottoms-up approach that's available. The product is self-provisionable. Pricing and packaging can be tuned to do that. And what I heard from you on the other side in terms of situations where PLG may not be a good fit for you, it's when you're in the midst of category creation. It's a new category or topic that people don't kind of already know what it is and you have to do a lot of explaining. Did I sort of get that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if the product's complicated or one off or whatever it is. So that's a really important thing for sort of the folks out there that are thinking about, do I do product-led growth, not product-led growth is how well do your customers sort of already understand whatever it is you're selling? If they kind of understand it, there's a chance to do product-led growth. If it's a new thing and they don't really understand it, it's going to be harder. So I think that's actually a useful thing for people to recognize in terms of where it could be useful and not. The second thing we talked about there, which is really interesting, which is, hey, if you're thinking about starting product-led growth, you don't actually have to start on the customer acquisition side. You could start on the retention side. That's really interesting. So let's use that as sort of a transition to Nikolai here, because Nikolai's company, Circula, is right in the middle of trying to do product-led growth. So Nikolai, could you talk about sort of where you are in terms of what you've done historically and how you're trying to put product-led growth and then, you know, hit Mickey up for some advice? Yeah, definitely. So it has been a journey. We started Circular around five years ago because back then in Europe and, and mostly in Germany, people were still using paper sheets and Excel spreadsheets when it comes to expense management. And we initially started building a product with a very strong focus on travel expenses on out-of-pocket expenses mm -hmm. with a focus on German SMBs. And while we started off with tech companies as clients, we started to move towards uh, more mid-sized businesses. And today, 70% of our customers are not tech companies. And we also started to build a product which is today used by companies with a headcount of 10,000 employees, for example. So to some extent, we achieved enterprise readiness. And you won product. those customers with traditional selling. You had exactly. a salesperson call and yeah. sort of won those customers. Yeah. How are you thinking about putting PLG in place. Yeah. So the thing is that we were 
doing well on the go-to-market side from a, like outbound sales and partnerships perspective. Originally, we always were looking a lot at user experience and actually having a product which could help onboard companies. And actually two years ago, we, for example, had like 30% of our customers being able to onboard themselves because we were using, for example, mm. Intercom for product tours, a lot of video content and help center. And then we started to move more towards uh, mid-sized businesses. And now we actually come back to the conclusion that we have built something from a user experience point of view and, and a general degree of readiness for self-service, which is quite close to being ready for self-serve customers. And that's why we are now looking into how do can we actually win market share quickly in Germany and also other markets. And this is why we basically came back to the epiphany that our product is very ready for large SMBs because our ICPs are better 50 to 500 employees. This is where we have the highest velocity and where we see we feel most comfortable and see the biggest market opportunity. So that's why we are now basically in the project of actually redoing the whole onboarding, having the right signals from the product to the CRM, but also to our BI so that actually customer success and product can act with messaging. And this is where we are standing at the moment. So what are you struggling with in terms of sort of implementing product-led growth? Like where, what are the things yeah. you're wrestling with that, you know, Mickey could yeah. be useful for here? I think one topic, which is from the experience that we had is if you think about our product, you would assume that bottom-up approach would work. But actually what we see is that if a German company or a European company establishes a new process in accounting, normally it's, it's a commitment. They don't just go for a test ride and open it up in the sales department and then they like, go on to the other departments. It's a either yes or no decision. And so that's for us, the question is about how do we convince not only the end user, which is normally the accountant, but also the head of finance or the managing director who is the economic buyer. So what's your perspective on this, Mickey? If the accountant is, is in the app, he gets time to value relatively quickly because we push the data to the, re the relevant general ledger. Like how can we enable him actually to uh, come and uh, become our customer? Awesome. That's a great question. And I think you're, you've realized that you want to go up markets. One of the elements of uh, usually when there's a trend, people to take it to the kind of uh, extreme side. Like partly growth is like zero touch and then basically very simple and simple means less features and, and so on and so forth. And I think the reality is PLG, successful PLG companies are doing great when it's like uh, in the, in initially, like they grow very fast, but then they hit a, a ceiling where either they don't have enough features and then they suffer from churn because they, you know, someone else comes with the same solution. It's a commodity. It's cheaper. It's also looking great, looks nice. And, and, and the end user gets like, you know, it's going to be a pricing match and, and then freemium. So they start suffering either from churn and not being able to sell into larger companies with larger ARR. And the other extent works the other way. Like enterprises are very heavy and then they basically cannot sell to the SMB market because even doing basic stuff requires a heavy holding. The reality is, is now we're seeing a spectrum of companies that needs to kind of grow into the other spectrum. Like you cannot stay as a PLG because someone else will come and will commoditize what you're doing unless you're building more sophisticated stuff, which sounds like you guys did. You, you actually have some more value as opposed to basic expenses. You actually have some more value. Now you have also user and chooser that might not be part of the application. This is where you want to build kind of a blend of high touch, low touch. Those are, yeah. it's, it's totally fine if you're able to kind of engage with the chooser 
or to kind of uh, surface outcome to them as part of the decision. So you can create those flows. If it's a small account, basic use case, zero touch. If it's a larger account, you start introducing this high touch, low touch blend. Can you explain high touch, low touch blend? What do you mean by that? Because I'm not sure that folks in the audience are going to know what you mean by those two terms. Absolutely. I think it, even Gainsight PX, we also offer trials and I might have a small startup starting to, to use our analytics. And suddenly I might see an enterprise coming in and doing a free, a free trial. I know that the enterprise account is not going to go to production without speaking with our legal, with our security. They just want to experience the product, but for them to move forward, they have to speak with humans. But so it, that's it, high touch. That's high touch, but it's okay. okay low touch is they don't talk to anybody. No, and they, and basically the end user has the authority to go all the way to production. There's no one he needs to, oh, she needs to kind of discuss it. It's just a very quick decision. It's one person decision. So the high touch allows you, basically it's, it's a requirement to go and deal with larger accounts because it's usually they have different questions. There's like some legal document. It makes sense to you to have that human resources available for them because usually their ACV, their account value, average account, annual account value is actually higher. So this is where you have your customer success. Look at the data. When it comes to product-led growth and the transition from, let's say, a very sales-driven go-to-market towards a PLG, does the responsibility of sales change in an extent that they are actually the enabler for the free customer? Or is it still customer success and customer success hands over the product qualified lead to the sales rep what's like how does it work out usually the the, the super matured company are building a, a product management for growth mm -hmm. that team or a person that looks at the usage data and needs to make sure that all the teams marketing sales customer success are seeing usage data mapping those value moments value drivers in the customer journey first expenses, reports, multi-expenses, whatever, integration. So, and they own the adoption, like the, what type of messaging, articles, videos, walkthroughs users need, but they, then it's the responsibility of the sales team to go close the deal. I did see some companies that do a strong segmentation up to, let's say, 10 or 12K RR. They want to have it zero touch. You're not going to speak with any mm. person. As soon as you cross over, sales team are getting basically their quota relief only when they're able to sell you more than the basic. And then what they need to go do is extend your or uh, accelerate your adoption of the more advanced features. And this is where customer success and sales collaborate. You can still, some of that is going to be intuitive, automated, makes sense for the end user. Some of it would be just like a, a discussion they need to do with the chooser, not the user. So this is kind of the, the blend and play, but... Most companies realize, PLG, very successful one, realize that they need that blend if they want to create value and stickiness with enterprise. So what would be your advice for companies that are like Nikolai's, where they started off doing sales-led growth, and now they're trying to add on or pivot to doing more product-led growth? Like, where do you start? Yeah, I think it's uh, one basic exercise, which is good to any company, is to start with this buyer journey, right? What is the pain you're solving? Usually you have more than one persona. And what is the early value and what is the true value that you are planning to have with these kind of buyers? Second is to look at your pricing and packaging models. 
one of the ways we say simplify or simple, if you're a very advanced user, let's say you're going to buy a CRM like Salesforce, it's not a simple product, but we have the skill set to deal with it or, or HubSpot or Marketo or any type of complex solution. So simplicity is about maybe the packaging that you're offering to these type of use cases. So if your pricing and packaging is usage-based and relevant to the target audience, this is all they need to be successful to begin with. And then there's like a second package as they grow, they need those features and values and then naturally grow. When it comes to packaging, I have a follow-on question. So in our case, for example, normally we want to onboard the whole company. So when it, like that's why if you think about the freemium offering where you have a value metric and a cap, normally if we would limit the number of people that can use the product, it would harm us because we would not be interesting for, let's say, a company of 200 employees. So that's why what we are currently internally discussing, if we don't offer freemium, but actually free trial for a very extended time, for example, one year, because we have a big partner who would do this as uh, giving out vouchers to all these cloud-based customers. Do you think this is effective enough or from your experience, from all the clients that you worked or have seen over the time, you would argue it's always better to have something which stays free forever in order to have a broader adoption in the market? Great question. Yeah, it's it's definitely deep and very specific to each market and product. I think it's mm -hmm. like, on one hand, you don't want to sacrifice stickiness and, and, and natural growth. So, for example, we don't limit the number of users that can log into the platform because for mm -hmm. us, like, we want to be a system of record and we definitely wanna, don't want to create any friction in terms of more people using the solution because we are very usage-based. The more data in the platform, the more you're paying, and that's the classic way. So ideally, you can just allow to kind of as many uh, users in and potentially charge by the volume of, of reports. Sometimes it's a blend and there's always going to be a category of more, you know, a, a specific set of features and you want to simulate. And I've never seen a pricing packaging that addresses all the use cases like B2C, B2B. It's, it's you potentially want to have if you serve in both B2C and B2B and you see a discrepancy, the model doesn't fit both, you might want to have a model for, for a specific industry. If you're seeing it kind of fit, it doesn't really fit them as well. So let's maybe shift a little bit here to metrics because, you know, for many of the folks in the audience, they're like, okay, I sort of get PLG, what it is. Okay. It's not just no salespeople. It's more complicated than that. Like, you know, for somebody like Nikolai or a company that's just starting to embark on a product-led growth journey, what are metrics to pay attention to just if you're in the very beginning of getting going with this? What would you suggest, Mickey, that people pay attention to? That's a great question. So I think if you're focusing on, on trial customer acquisition, so obviously customer acquisition cost would be your business KPI. And the core metrics that you want to try tracking your product is number of signups, for example, user retention within the trial. How many days are they staying with the platform? Three days, seven days, the whole 30 days, those, because you're going to understand that where are the issues. And then there's like frequency of usage. How many business days in a week, for example, do they use the mm -hmm. system? And then the value actions that they do. Many cases that people say, oh, DAU, DAU versus MAU, I think the frequency is nice. Could you talk about this concept value action? I don't think that's a term. I don't know yeah. what that means. So maybe you could explain that. Yeah, exactly. So it, value action is those features that 
uh, the aha moment in your product that customers actually experience mm. value when they use the feature. If they just logged in and just added some comments or created some, you know, report, but didn't submit the expenses. Ah, got it. Some sort of action they take that creates an aha moment. Okay. I like that. Exactly. Great. And say, did they hit those value moments? If they didn't, the trial, they didn't experience value. They think I'm just like the other solutions or they misunderstood my solution. So those are kind of the key uh, KPI. So and doing them well will tie back to your business KPI, which is customer acquisition cost. Hey, Nikolai, why don't you uh, throw in sort of your last question for Mickey, and then I've got one last question, and then we'll wrap up. I mean, one question that I still uh, have in, in mind, um, I read in your book that uh, HubSpot introduced uh, a quota concept where it was circling a lot around customer lifetime value instead of just going after ARR. And what would be your advice, practically speaking, if we are now in a, like transitioning or doing PLG, retain the quotas and uh, the setup we have for the year and then reconsider next year when we see how it's working out. And if we move on from ARR to CLV, practically speaking, like, like how do you, like, how would uh, the quota for an account executive be calculated based on expected customer lifetime value from the core that you closed based on retention rate and, and ACV or what's your advice around this topic? I think it's less about PLG. It's more about the customer flywheel that they're trying to basically build. So I think it's where they invest in long term. I would definitely start still with like clear quota, uh, yeah. then like, you know, focusing on ARR for to customer lifetime value. If you translate it to B2B, it, sh it should surface in your net revenue retention. That's kind of uh, the way, because it's like the, the, the more they use, they, they, they basically sell them all naturally and you're not investing the same effort. But from quarter perspective, it's probably looking at HubSpot. Maybe they have a couple, couple of tricks, but it's, it's, I think they're, they were way more mature when they transitioned that At early stage. I would still keep it simple. Great. Thank you. So the, uh, the question I'd like to wrap up on is culture, which is I've heard and I know other folks have heard that, hey, product-led growth actually requires a culture change in a company. And in some cases, you can't even have product-led growth and sales-led growth coexist. So, Mickey, I'd love to get your take on this culture question and what's real, what's not real. How do these things coexist, don't coexist? You have to create a culture change. Like, There's a lot in here. So I would love to get your take on it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a change management and culture change. Because again, most of the teams will try to either do what they're used to do. Marketing loves to drive NQLs. Then if it's qualified or not, it's going to be an argue with sales and sales love to be in control of everything. And so I think it's, it's culturally, you want to make sure that first you align that this is not going to, it's going to make their life more effective and make your customers experience much better as opposed to silos, right? As opposed to wait for a nine month deal cycle when it started from NQL that they basically make you download three white papers before they speak with you. This doesn't make sense anymore, right? You just say, hey, let's introduce that gradual change. I think it's important to do a gradual change. So to make and continuously educate each side, especially marketing and sales, that what's going to be their new KPI or what are they going to try to optimize? And if you find those core metrics, they're both interested, both are interested in creating pipeline, 
right? So basically, good healthy pipeline is great for sales. And you can say, here's how PLG helping you with a healthy pipeline and faster deal cycle because just customers and they know what they are buying. They just use the product for 10 days and they basically, it's like very easy to go and close them. And for marketing, hey, we need you guys to drive signups, not just top of funnel thought leadership. We need you guys to also drive signups. Great. Mickey. Thank you. Nikolai, thank you for being our guest host. I think having somebody from a company who is in the midst of implementing this really helps our listeners be able to relate to how do I make product-led growth work if it's the right thing for my company. Mickey, thank you for joining us, sharing your expertise. Best of luck to you at Gainsight PX. Excited to see how things unfold. And thank you for writing your book. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us. Oh,